Right. The, it's, it's always a bit of a relief when uh, somebody who's reading the scripture reads the same passage that you've prepared for when you arrive. <laughs> so all good today. <clears throat> now I believe that you've been uh, studying the book of Acts and here we are in uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, it's a great little passage, great little insight into uh, what the church was doing in these days. Of course, the, uh, the book of Acts is a bit of a snapshot or a number of snapshots. It's like a photo album, if you like. You can imagine sitting down as a family and flicking open, you know, the, in the olden days anyway, the, uh, the photo album or today looking on the phone and so forth and having a look at, um, at the snapshots of the kingdom because that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's what the church looked like in the first century in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in fact across the world of that particular time. It's a bit of a history of how the followers of Jesus began to obey the commissions that Jesus had given to them, and it's a warts and all approach. It's not only the good stuff that happened, but it's a fair dinkum history. It's a history that is true to what was really going on. So it's warts and all, and we get the good stuff and the bad stuff, the stuff that Jesus would have been blessed by and the stuff that Jesus would have gone on, you know, what's going on sort of stuff. And so that's what the book of Acts is. It's a history that is full of exciting things, that these Jesus people, these Jesus followers were doing across the world. And it's uh, spotted along the way with such things as deceit and conflict and the threats of heresy. And so there's the warts and all approach. Uh, then, though, of course, there was the reality of persecution. All this is piling on. It's the context, really, of persecution as the church goes into, as believers go into various parts of the Roman world and the persecution was coming first from the Jews and then from the Roman authorities and so the book of Acts gives us a pretty pretty clear picture of the context of persecution and of suffering and of tough times going on. Now I just want to spend a moment um, in, in looking at the commissions of Jesus that the book of Acts unravels uh, because uh, most people think that uh, Matthew 28 18 to 20, is the only commission that Jesus left for his people uh, to fulfill. And Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20, is what we call the Great Commission. I think that's most unfortunate because it must mean the other commissions are not as important or less greater. <laughs> but this is certainly a very important commission. It's a discipling commission. It's the commission to go and to make disciples, which means go and woo people to Jesus, make more followers of Jesus through baptizing them, which was all about belonging to the family, and then teaching them the things of Jesus. And that's a very important commission. And certainly the book of Acts is is an unwrapping of that commission as they went about making disciples. But it's not the only commission that Jesus left for his followers. For instance, there's the commission to wash one another's feet because commission is actually just another word for commandment. And when uh, we think of the commission that Jesus gives to the church and we think of all the commandments that Jesus gives to the church as it's beginning to flow throughout the world, we think of the commission to be servants to one another, uh, to wash one another's feet. Really important. That's in John 13. 
Further in John 13, there's the commission uh, to, uh, to love one another. And probably this is the even greater commission. If the other one's the great commission, this would have to be the even greater commission because it's an unwrapping of what Jesus called the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and to love others as you love yourself. And so Jesus has commissioned these disciples uh, to go out and to love one another. And the book of Acts is an understanding of how that commission was being fulfilled, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. There are many other commissions to forgive one another, Uh, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to equip one another, to love your enemies. And so we could go on. So all of these are commissions that the early church has to fulfill around all the cities that they're going into, and the book of Acts is an unwrapping of that. Why? Because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. You see, the kingdom of God, a snapshot, if you like, of the kingdom of God on earth is the church as Jesus planned it. And so this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like a care for one another. It looks like an encouragement and an equipping of one another. It looks like love. And so as the disciples, as the followers of Jesus went into each of the cities mentioned across Acts, it is a fulfilling, it's a living out of that love that Jesus has shown to them because this is what the kingdom of God really looks like this is the kingdom that jesus prayed to be known to be experienced on earth remember he taught the disciples to pray that your kingdom will come to to earth that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that's the idea of the church in the book of acts and so this is the kingdom this is the church that was to exemplify the kingdom of god as it engaged with all of the cities and all of the villages of the world, like Joppa. And so we zero in on today's passage. The church goes to Joppa so that Joppa, this city, a very important city, we'll look at that in a minute, in Palestine, the church goes to Joppa so that Joppa will experience the love of God. That's the purpose. The church goes to Joppa into that neighborhood so that Joppa will know what it is to be loved by God and will catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is all about. Catch a glimpse of God forgiving and loving and caring and equipping and encouraging. Why? Because the church was there representing God in the town of Joppa. And so let's just quickly have a look at this passage and then we'll do some reflecting on it. We read in this passage that, that Peter was in Palestine. He, he's first of all up in Lydda and I, I guess you covered that last week. And then he goes to, to Joppa. He's already done some healing in Lydda. Um, but uh, down in Joppa, uh, Dorcas uh, gets sick and dies. Uh, that's about 24 kilometres away from Lydda. And so he's up in Lydda and, and he's, he's involved in this healing ministry. But down in this other town, um, Dorcas, she gets sick, she dies. Well, there's some friends of Dorcas who hear about Peter being over in Lydda 
And whatever moved him, we're not told what, what moved him to go and get Peter. I mean, Dorcas is dead. She's, she's already died. They've anointed her. They've carried her to the upper room. But something motivated these friends of Dorcas to go and get Peter and to say to Peter, you need to come straight away. You need to come right now over to Joppa. I guess presumably they wanted him to come to pray over the dead body. Whether they had in mind, maybe she'll be given life again, maybe she'll be raised from the dead, or whether they just wanted a blessing from Peter, we don't know, we're not told. But it does seem a bit strange that this is what they're doing. You know, Their friend has died and so they'll go get Peter to come and to be involved. And um, that, that's that's what they do. So, so Peter leaves straight away and goes to Joppa. He makes you wonder what's in Peter's mind, you know. He's there in, in, involved in a ministry of healing and, and, and encouraging the people in, uh, in Lydda. And suddenly these friends appear from nowhere and they say, our friend has died, would you come on down, you know. <laughs> makes you wonder what's in Peter's mind, but he leaves straight away and he goes to Joppa. And he finds a dead body along with friends who are mourning their loss. This was a very dear friend. Mourning their loss, they're grieving, they're weeping, and they're reminiscing, as you do, you know, telling stories about the loved one who has gone. And so they've got garments and they're standing around um, the deceased person and they're reminding each other of how special Dorcas was to them by talking about the things that she'd done for them and the things that she'd given to them and so forth. And they were grieving and they were weeping. So Peter walks into this situation and he empties the room. He clears everybody out. And then he prays over her and commands her quietly to get up. I love the fact that this is all pretty peaceful. You know, there's not a lot of heebie-jeebie sort of stuff jumping around and saying, oh, you know, death be gone or anything like that. There's none of that. He just clears the room. This is not a spectacle for everybody to be there looking at. You know, this is not a signs and wonders convention. And so he clears the room. He says, you need to leave. And then he simply says to her, you need to get up. (laughs) And so she sits up. She was dead. She sits up and uh, she's helped to stand by Peter and then he calls the friends back in or he goes out to them and he presents <laughs> Dorcas alive and that's the end of the story. Don't, don't you wish sometimes Luke, who was writing this story, was just a bit more detailed, you know? <laughs> what happened? What's going on, you know? The, the, the friends would have freaked out. They would have thought, oh, this is just an illusion or, you know, what's going on? But there she is, alive. She's a part of their body, a part of their community again. I, I, I reckon Dorcas might have been a bit cheesed off, actually. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's dead. She's gone to be with the Lord, you know. She's reveling around in heaven and then suddenly, boom, she's back on earth. And she's alive again. I wonder what she was thinking. <laughs> But this is a uh, this this is a remarkable occasion. Dorcas was obviously much loved and and respected. 
She was uh, described here as an active charity worker. She was always doing good works, it says there in the passage. And then the story finishes up in an interesting way. The story simply says, and Peter stayed on in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Simon was a man who was working in the town. He was a leather worker. And leather workers used to treat animal hides to produce leather. But it was a trade that was considered unclean by the Jews of that day. And Peter stays on, and Luke says specifically he stayed with Simon the Tanner. If he was trying to avoid conflict, he would have avoided that little piece of information. But he didn't. But you see, it's a great introduction to what we're going to be looking at next week because it was Simon the Tanner's place where Peter was staying where the church had to grapple with the whole Gentile Jew issue of what was clean and what was unclean. I don't want to steal um, stuff from my next week's message to you, but that's that's the introduction to it. Very cleverly a bit of a segue into what we'll be looking at next week as Peter stays with this person who's involved in a trade considered unclean by the Jews. So let's have a bit of a reflection on what's going on here. You know, does this mean that if Monty Church is going to be truly um, uh, faithful to God that uh, you'll be um, you'll be raising dead people from, from the dead and giving life back to them all the time? Well... We certainly haven't experienced that yet and I don't expect that it's something that God would be doing into the future. Um, but, uh, but what, what's the application of this? Well, let's, let's unwrap the passage a little bit by reflecting on it. First of all, Joppa is a very important town. It's a, it's a seaport on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, in Palestine. It's about 64 kilometers, uh, northwest of Jerusalem, which means it's the seaport for Jerusalem. It's an important business centre uh, for the region. And it's mentioned a, a fair bit in the Bible. For instance, uh, when Solomon's temple was being built, the wood that was brought in for that was brought in through Joppa. It's mentioned a few times around that context. And Joppa, you'll, you'll probably remember, was where Jonah boarded the ship to, to go to, uh, not to, not to go to Nineveh, but, uh, to avoid going to Nineveh by sailing down to Tarshish. It was Joppa where he got on the boat. And in Acts, it's best known for what we'll be looking at next week, where the church, uh, through Peter had to grapple with this Jewish Gentile issues uh, that came up. So Job is mentioned a, a, a few times in the in the Bible and it's a fairly important centre really of what's going on at that time. What about the miracle? A lady is raised from the dead. Well there are a few accounts of people being raised from the dead in the Bible uh, but it's not a regular event. It's not something that happens all the time, even in the Bible. Um, in fact, it's very rare, actually. And so it would be wrong to run around thinking that the faithful church will see life given to dead people all of the time. Uh, in fact, people who have said that sort of stuff, and there have been people 
across church history and very contemporary church history as well where people have said, you know, God is going to give life back uh, to to this person who has died, uh, somebody who is um, rather close to me. Um, I had uh, her, she lost her dad when she was a teenager and her pastor and elders gathered around and said, if we have the faith, your dad is going to be given his life back to him. And he will raise, be, rise from the dead. And they prayed over him with that idea in mind. And it didn't happen. Uh, he, he remained dead. And uh, it, it, it was said, you know, we don't have enough faith. And then it was blamed on the family. The family doesn't have enough faith. An incredible amount of damage done in that sort of context. But it, uh, it, it could be seen to come out of this sort of passage where, you know, they had the faith, they believed that Dorcas was going to rise from the dead. And if you have the faith too, you've heard stories like that, Not maybe not related to life being given back to dead bodies, but you've heard the stories. If you had enough faith, then this would happen because it happened here. It happened to me this way, then it must happen to you. It's a problem with you. You've heard stories like that. But that's not how God works. God works in, God loves diversity. He works in very different ways across different people. And so it's certainly not something that we should expect. And of course, the truth is that Dorcas did eventually die again, didn't she? She's not still alive now. She died again, and that was true of all the people who experienced uh, this sort of thing, like Lazarus, for instance, where he died again, and the widow's son, um, he died again, and Jairus' daughter, she died again. So it's not something, you know, that that's given back to them for eternity. It's a very irregular sort of thing. Philip Yancey, I think, helps us to understand miracles like this. In his book, the Jesus I Never Knew, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's an old book now, um, but it's a great book. Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. He has a chapter called Snapshots of the Kingdom. Snapshots of the Kingdom, and it's about the miracles that Jesus performed. And his idea was that a snapshot is something that is taken of a piece of time and history that conveys what was going on in that moment. It's a snapshot of the kingdom. But it doesn't have any suggestion that this is normative or that this is to be expected every every time a person dies, for instance. It's just a snapshot of how God was working at this particular time in this particular place. And it's a snapshot of the kingdom. It's like saying this is the kingdom of God and we get a glimpse of it from time to time in the kingdom of god there is no death death has been overcome we 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 sang about that just a few minutes ago how 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 death has been overcome because of the resurrection of christ life is given to us in the kingdom of god there is no death and so here's a snapshot that says hey this is what the kingdom's like there's no death death has been overcome life is what it's all about this is the kingdom of god And this incident in Joppa is a snapshot of that truth, that life has overcome death. And so perhaps a more helpful way of applying the principle here 
is this fact that life overcomes death. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me saying that this didn't really happen. It did really happen. I I believe it really did happen. That Dorcas was a real person. She really did die and she really did come back from the dead and she really did walk out to her friends. I, I believe that. But what I'm saying is that that doesn't mean, in application, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen all the time, no matter how faithful we are to God. But the principle that lies behind this We can bank on it. We can know it for sure. And that is that life overcomes death. And that's true in many, many contexts. For instance, Paul in Ephesians 2 likens us to being dead in our sins until we receive the life of Christ to raise us up into his presence. Ephesians 2 is just an amazing Amazing passage. Now, Josh, as you were sharing about, uh, you know, the experience of awe and so forth, as you were thinking this morning about El Shaddai, uh, made me think of um, Ephesians 2. I've just finished preaching a series on Ephesians 2, and, um, and it's just absolutely amazing stuff. It is awesome. How Paul pictures death and, 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 and this was, this was us until the life of Christ has come in and raised us into the heavenlies and, you know, God Almighty is the God behind all of that. Well, that's the story that we're experiencing in this little vignette from Joppa that life overcomes death. Ephesians 2. Um, Proverbs tells us This is an interesting one. Proverbs tells us that the tongue has the power of death and it has the power of life. Life words can overcome death words. Now, I think that's a very good application of the principle of Dorcas being raised from the dead, of the principle of life overcoming death. The very words we use, Proverbs says, the very words that we use can cause a person to wish they were dead or help a person to be really glad that they're alive. <laughs> words, the tongue has the power of death, can create, it just creates misery, or has the power of life. And in fact, if you've experienced death words, Life words can build you back up again, can raise you from the dead, if I can use that terminology without you switching off. (laughs) And so the way that we talk to one another, the way that we choose the words that we use can be life words overcoming death words because that's what life in the kingdom is all about. And you see, that's why I started by telling you about all the commissions that we are to fulfill in our neighbourhoods as the church. It's not just making disciples, as important as that is. It was one of the commissions that, that, that Jesus gave to the church. But it's equipping people, encouraging people, loving people, caring people, and life words do all of that. Life overcomes death. And if we are a community of faith that is committed 
to encouraging one another and caring for one another in the way that we're speaking, in the way that we speak, we become a community of life. And I tell you, there's a lot of people out there who wish they were dead. Maybe not to the extreme of suiciding, but just feeling like life has lost everything that it once had for me. I'm miserable. There's an epidemic of loneliness all around us. People who are wishing they had meaningful friends, wishing they had a meaningful community to which they could belong and trust and so forth. There's a lot of that out there. There's a lot that our life words as a community of faith can speak into and we can see resurrection. (laughs) We can see people coming back from the death that they're living. Life is given to them. And I believe that this is the principle that can be applied to us as a church as we think about Dorcas dying and yet receiving life once again. Life is what the kingdom is all about. And the church is to be a community of life in our neighbourhoods as we commit to love and to forgive and to offer hope and meaning and grace. One more thing. Miracles in the New Testament are seen as signs. John, John's Gospel brings this out very clearly. But it's right across the New Testament. When there's a miracle, they're seen as signs that Jesus is who he says he is and he does what he said he would do. And so the miracles happen to say yes to Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. This miracle that happened in Joppa, the real purpose of that is not to give Dorcas life again. That was a wonderful benefit for a little while and then she would have died again. That was a wonderful thing to happen. But the real purpose of Dorcas receiving life again is to say Jesus is who he is, who who he says he is, and he can do what he said he would do, (laughs) and that is to give life. And so we as a community of the followers of Jesus have that same message, that Jesus, in good Australian terminology, he's fair dinkum. He is the real deal. And that's what people need to hear today, that he is the real deal. So as Monty Church is a community of life, it will overcome death and people will see Jesus for who he really is and will seek to know him. That's worth getting up in the morning for, don't you, Ryan? Thanks, Josh.